Welcome to the next edition of the Alive Active Shooter Survival Training Program podcast. My name is Michael Julian. I'm the creator of the Alive program. And uh, with me today are my co-hosts and friends, um, Mark Gillespie, who's an investigations and forensic expert out of Texas, and Lawrence Borgens, who is a, uh, also an um, investigator and a security expert out of uh, Central, Central California, Northern California? Mostly Northern. Mostly Northern. Also with us is our special guest, uh, Matt Clock. Matt has been a longtime friend of mine. Uh, he's been in the security industry uh, his most of his uh, adult life. Uh, we became friends years ago while studying for the um, as-is uh, designation of uh, personal security expert or uh, specialist. And we've been friends. We live in the same town, so we do things socially and, and professionally as well. Uh, today is a very significant day. It's October 1st, uh, two years after the Route 91 Music Festival shooting in Las Vegas. And uh, Matt is uh, a survivor of that event. He was there on that day. It has been a very uh, intense, profound, emotional situation for him. And because we're friends, I know how it, is, it has affected his life since that time. So it's a very significant day, and Matt is a very significant guest for those reasons. So what we're going to do today is get into, we're going to talk about that event. Um, for anyone who may not be familiar with that event, on October 1st, 2017, um, at a concert, that it was actually a weekend festival concert, country music concert called the uh, Route 91 Music Festival. And it was uh, not at Mandalay, Mandalay Bay, but near Mandalay Bay. And it was a kind of an all weekend thing. It was uh, this, this event happened uh, just after 10 o'clock on Sunday night. And um, what happened was a, a single gunman, uh, 64-year-old man. And I don't, we don't typically like to glorify these people, so we don't often use their names. But if I do, which I will today, I will put my personal input in, which is the man's name was Stephen Paddock and he was a coward and um, he was a, a horrible person who we still don't know what his motives were, uh, which is unusual. Typically we know these things, but we don't know exactly, have not determined why he did what he did. He was a, he was a millionaire. Uh, we, there, according to his family, there weren't any obvious signs of suicide or homicidal behavior. Uh, he really didn't have the typical behavioral characteristics or life issues that most of these people have when they when they um, when they do these these unbelievably terrible events. Uh, but on the night uh, of October first, Stephen Paddock took several guns, which he had been taking up to his room for two days, even with the help of hotel staff in Mandalay Bay, which we've seen on video, hotel video, and um, set up a very intricate situation environment to where he could carry this act out. Um, it is, some people believe that his intention was to escape. Uh, he did end up committing suicide once law enforcement found, figured out where he was and cornered him. Um, he had set up two cameras on a room service card outside his room so he could see activity outside the room. He got two adjoining suites on the 33rd floor and knocked out windows. It was in a corner. So he knocked out a window on each side of that corner and started shooting into the crowd at the festival. Um, 58 people ended up losing their lives that day and uh, over 500 people were injured. Uh, one of my former students uh, also was a participant and um, I, we've heard her story and talked about her previously on this. She was a survivor and credits the Alive program with her survival. But today we're going to talk uh, to Matt and ask him to tell his story. It is a very emotional thing for him, I know, because we've talked about it many times offline in personal settings. And um, I think one of the important takeaways for this situation is how deeply affected the even the survivors are not just the the uh, you know family members of the people that were killed but the survivors of these these events that were just there and so 
what I just want to do is ask Matt to um, tell his story and we'll interject with questions when we need to. But Matt, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to turn it over to you. Thank you very much for being on this, this show today. I know, I know it's a very, very difficult time for you. It is the anniversary of the shooting exactly two years ago. So if you wouldn't mind, just kind of tell us, walk us through your story and, and tell us what happened. Well, thank you, Michael. I appreciate it uh, for having me on the show. Um, you just telling the recap of that a night was already getting me emotional. You know, when, when you go to an event like a concert, you don't think anything's going to happen. Like Michael said, I've been in the security industry for 24 years. I've gone through active shooter trainings. I've participated in a live uh, reenactment of active shooter training. I've been through classroom settings. And the idea that this would never happen to me was always there. It's like, eh, wouldn't happen to me. So... On Sunday night, October 1st, 2017, as the headliner was on stage performing, myself and a group of others were enjoying our night in Vegas. And at 10.05 p.m., we heard the sounds of pop, 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 pop. And we all kind of looked around and I looked behind my shoulder and I saw, I looked up in the sky thinking that it might be fireworks or pyrotechnics or something was happening behind us. At that moment, my girlfriend was to my left. She saw somebody fall down. And I was with two other friends at the time, uh, Nick and his wife, Kim. And they were to my right and Nick immediately knew what was happening and said, that's gunfire, everybody down. We, we immediately went down to the ground and I covered Tammy and Kim, Nick's wife, and Nick took off running. He took off running to the right, which was towards Mandalay Bay. At this point, we don't know anything that's happening. We don't know where this is coming from. All we continue to hear is the pop, 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 pop sound. And then the metal or the bullets ricocheting off of the metal guardrail and the stage in front of us. Nick takes off, nowhere to be seen at that moment. And I'm on top of both Tammy and, and Kim, and they start to become hysterical. At one point, the sounds of the, of the gunfire, again, now we realize that there's gunfire. My thought process was, there's somebody in the venue. There's somebody in the venue. There's a fight. There's something. Somebody's in the venue shooting at us or we're just happened to be potentially innocent bystanders in a maybe domestic or into a, a fight or something happening i don't know so my thought process was let's just stay down let's just huddle together um we'll, we'll stay down we'll stay still and this will all go away soon there was cops everywhere uh i could not imagine that this was going to take that long to, to subside as I'm laying on top of both the girls and they start to, to cry and, and yell at me, I heard the gunfire stops. I kind of stand up a little bit and I kind of look around and I look behind me and in the field, I can see people running and I can see people huddling over other people and there was someone right behind me. I was down on the ground. And like all I could see was people around him trying to administer CPR or pushing compressions on him. I was 
maybe 10 seconds and then the gunfire erupted again. And we all got back down and huddled together. And at this point, Kim, Nick's wife, is yelling at me and hitting me on my chest to go get Nick. Tammy grabbed her cell phone out of her purse and was calling her son. And I was telling her, hang up the fucking phone, be quiet. Hang up the phone. And she's talking to her son. When the gunfire stopped for the third time, Kim was begging me to go get Nick. So I was on my stomach and I crawled as far as I could and I was crawling over people. When I finally saw Nick, he was wearing a, a hat backwards, a Cleveland Indians hat that he had just bought the, that night and I recognized it so I, I saw him. He was actually with two of our other friends who before the main event, before the main headliner started, they had moved up and to the right closer to the stage. So I saw him and he was actually with both of those two girls that were there and both of them had been, had been hit. One was hit in the arm. The other one was hit in her face and her eyes. We heard gunfire erupt again. And at that point, I could actually hear the sound of the bullets passing by our heads. At one point I was covered with Nick and the two girls and I was covering my ears because I could hear it whizzing by. I told Nick, I said, we gotta go back, we gotta go back. Kim wants you back. So he told the people that were with the other two girls to take care of them and he would come back for them. And we crawled back over to where the other two girls were at. Nick huddled us together and said, there's gonna be a time when there's no more gunfires and it'll be quiet and we're gonna jump over this guardrail and we're gonna crawl across the stage and we're gonna jump over that other barricade and we're gonna leave. He knew the, the plan and we were gonna follow his lead. At that moment, again, gunfire erupted. We huddled together, all four of us. And again, at this point, it was so loud. The sounds of screaming, people crying, yelling, the sounds of the gunfire the bullets were just ricocheting off the ground and it sounded like it was just explosions all around us. I covered my head and my ears and I was kind of huddling over the two girls and Nick was kind of over top of me. And at that moment I was thinking, we're not gonna make it out of here. but I knew I needed to be strong. I knew I needed to do this for my son and my family. And I wasn't gonna die on that state, on that ground. And as soon as it stopped, the gunfire stopped, we jumped up. Tammy was literally paralyzed and wouldn't move. I had to grab her by her shoulders and I had to lift her up over the guardrail and drag her down to the ground. We crawled around the stage area and into the, what they call the, the, the catwalk area of the, between the stage and the soundboard. And while we were there, we encountered a bunch of people that, would have been, that had been shot. And we stopped to try to help somebody who was bleeding and Nick introduced himself to another 
he knew another military guy and said, Hey, I'm a Marine. And he said, me too. And he said, this guy is gone. We can't save him. We got to keep moving. We jumped over the second set of guardrails and we ran to an empty parking lot in front of an apartment complex. We could still hear the screams and people yelling and people running. At this time, it's probably 15 minutes had gone by. It seemed like forever. Nick said, I got to go back. I got to go back and find the, the girls. I'm not going home without them. Nick, would, Nick, he's a Marine, retired. His wife was begging him not to go. I told Nick he's got to do what he's got to do. I'll take care of the girls. He said he ran back in. He said that he was running past SWAT members as they were kind of in the prone position and kind of staging themselves in the area. He was running past them as they were running, was that they were staged. And he said it was kind of an, a surreal moment. He's running in and they're just kind of standing there. But the happy part of this story is that as he was running in back into the venue, he was able to meet up with another one of our friends miraculously found her hiding in a basement of a hotel someplace around the air. I think it was the Tropicana or something. And they were able to, to, to meet up and we ran to the Hooters hotel about three blocks away. And we were sequestered inside of the Hooters hotel for six hours. All we were doing was watching the news. And at about 6.30 in the morning, they finally let us leave the hotel so we can go back to our hotel. And I've never seen Vegas so quiet. Not a car on the street. Nobody walking around. It was like the end of the world had just happened and we were the only ones left on it. It was the most, it was the scariest thing I've seen in Vegas for a long time. And uh, they have an opportunity to talk to other people about this situation. And whenever I do my presentations and talk about this, I always kind of leave it off by saying, if somebody can take away one thing from my story is that always be aware, always be vigilant, know what your surroundings, know what you're gonna do in any situation, have a plan, talk to your family members, your friends, you just never know when it's going to happen. I wear this bracelet. I went into. Been wearing this bracelet for two years. And it says Country Strong, Route 91. And I wear. I've been taking it off as a reminder that there's 58 other people that don't have a voice today but I want to be a voice for them and lift them up and hopefully help others to know that we're strong together. Love wins. And as survivors, we're in this together. Thanks, Matt. <clears throat> well, that was a... <laughs> That was a very emotional story, and I certainly felt it. Um, I'm sure the other guys and the viewers will too. Um, I appreciate 
I appreciate you being willing to talk about it and I can tell that it's not difficult. I hope that this somehow helps the healing process um, to talk about it. I want to go back to a couple of things you said that immediately resonated with me and I think is important to highlight because of how it fits into helping other people survive in the future. And if we can take anything away from these situations, um, you know, I think it's good that we take away lessons learned to avoid hide, you know, to avoid this type of thing, or at least to mitigate the, the death toll uh, and to help people survive. You stated that um, you said to yourself, or you were thinking, I'm not going to die today on this ground. And that is something that we highlight and push emphatically in the Alive program is that survival mindset. You have got to overcome the paralysis of fear, overcome the thought that you're going to die, overcome the idea that you're never going to see your loved ones again. And you have got to stay in the mindset of, I am not going to die today. And a lot of people, unfortunately, did not have that mindset uh, for a myriad of different reasons. They were never taught it. They never thought about it. Uh, whatever the reason is, a lot of people didn't make it out of there because they froze from the fear uh, and the terror of the situation that was created. Also, something you said that, that, that we teach that, that people have got to know, they've got to understand you should, you, you need to try and always be aware and always be vigilant, vigilant, know what's going on around you. Don't get caught up in the moment. Uh, a lot of people were there and had been probably drinking all day. That might've affected their, their reflexes, their decision-making. Maybe who knows, maybe the depressant effect of alcohol actually kept them calmer than they otherwise would have been. And maybe they did make the decision to get out of there if they could. Um, but you said, have a plan and everybody should have a plan. I went to a country music concert in Utah with, uh, my ex-girlfriend and her family. And when we got there, I stopped everybody and I sit right inside the, the front entrance of the, of the venue and said, okay, look, here's the venue entrance. There's the parking lot. There's the entrance actually into the, where everything's taking place. Let's find a, a meeting point. If something happens, you know, please be aware of the entrances and exits, any kind of uh, columns or anything thick that you can take cover. Uh, but the point was we created a plan and it's not something that people just do naturally but it's something that people need to begin doing naturally because unfortunately in the world that we live in, this is something that is necessary and may literally save our lives. So um, I had the opportunity to meet Nick uh, and his wife and uh, one of the other live in-person programs I did, I met another survivor and uh, they all kind of had the same they got out of there because they decided that they were going to live that day. Now, not everybody that makes that decision will, because we don't know where those bullets are going to fly. But many of the people who did nothing because they didn't know, they just simply did not know what to do or they did not have the confidence or the knowledge of the training to feel the confidence to go, okay, I'm going to do something stayed in a mass of people that dove on the ground and just laid there waiting it for it to be over and ended up uh, losing their lives. So I think that's a very powerful message. Um, the mindset of I'm not going to die today is uh, very, very powerful. Now um, you have seen, because this, this is the alive podcast, I would like to circle back around and, and get some feedback from you. You have seen the alive presentation 
And because you've been in the security industry for 24 years, you've got a situational awareness mentality. You've got a security mindset and a survival mindset. After seeing the Alive presentation, uh, and I think you've seen other active shooter survival programs, and all training is good unless it's bad, but training in this situation is, is so necessary. What would you say or would you say that, um, that the training mine or anybody else's, if somebody did not have your experience level, how would that affect their ability to survive, their mindset, um, or how they would have reacted differently in this situation had they had that kind of training? Well, I can tell you right now, I mean, even though I've been in the industry for 24 years, nothing prepares you for the real thing. Like I would, I've done, like I said, trainings and, and participated in actual live demonstrations and live scenario training with active shooter. And, you know, you hear run, hide, fight, run, hide, fight, run, hide, fight, or you hear your program alive or just survive or whatever it is that you want to talk about but nobody knows what it's going to what's going to happen until you're in that situation i look back on it it's been two years i could have done 10 things different but we never will know if those 10 things that i could have done different would have out changed the outcome of my, me being here today not knowing where the shooter was, my thoughts were, if we run, we die. If we were in open field, so to find cover was limited. There were, under the stage, there was a sound area, people were hiding in porta-potties where we were, we had K rail in front of us and to the side of us. There wasn't a whole lot of cover or concealment. So at that moment, knowing what I know from all my other trainings, we should have ran, we should have been doing zigzag patterns. We should have separated and had a meetup point or we should have gone to the nearest cover we could find and try to conceal ourselves under the stage or someplace. Um, but I don't think that if your average citizen, civilian with zero knowledge of any of this, I think that they freeze. I think that they, they, they don't know what to do and they're gonna do nothing and become potentially a, a target. Um, you said something about the alcohol and it was kind of funny because we see videos of people who were drinking and we see guys just standing there holding up their beers, drinking while this thing is happening. There's, I think there's a video and a picture of a guy who's actually like flipping off Mandalay Bay the area of where it's coming from while he's drinking a beer. I mean, not smart. He survived, luckily. But I, for me, we've been drinking all day too. And at that moment, I got real sober, real fast. The adrenaline took over. I, afterwards, when we finally were able to catch our breaths, I, I wanted to puke. I was so sick from the adrenaline. I think, Mike, to your point, training for the real thing is all you can hope for. Training, doing it over and over again, going to classes so that you have that mindset. I know if, if it ever happened again, God forbid it ever happens to me again in that situation, I know there's probably, like I said, 10 things I would do differently. Just from... Yeah just from rethinking it. So clearly 
preparing for the worst and practicing and exercising and training certainly gives the average person uh, or gives that person an advantage, but you just don't know until you're actually in it, how you're going to react, what you're going to be thinking. Uh, and still, even with all the training in the world, there is an element of, I don't want to say luck, but you, you, you may end up catching a bullet doing what you're supposed to do um, simply because there's so many bullets flying. And um, so you said the average, you know, the civilian or whatever. So I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm clear you, it is your impression clearly that anybody who, if somebody didn't have the training, is it fair to say that you believe would certainly have a, a disadvantage because, um, you know, hopefully that training will kick in, if nothing else, to occupy your mind on survival rather than dying and not seeing your loved ones again. So, yeah, I, I think, I, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that, I think you look at, take, let's take Nick, for example, and Nick's actions. Nick's, a Marine, been trained, been to, you know, war zones. His reaction to that situation was assess the situation. And fireworks. Can you, can you back up and repeat that? You broke up for just a second. You, oh, I you said, said Nick, assess the situation. He had assessed the situation. He immediately knew the difference between gunfire and fireworks. And that's when he said, in his mind, he said, I'm running that direction towards the gunfire. We asked him after the fact, you know, why did you do that? And he said, because there was a threat and I was gonna take out the threat. He's the sheepdog or whatever you call, it. I think sheepdog Mike. Yeah. Yeah. He knew in his mind that he was going to do whatever it took to take out the, th the threat but he didn't think about anybody else, right? And that's fine, that's fine. But for me, I was like, I'm protecting the people that I know and love that are around me right now. And I'm gonna protect them because I'm a protector. Yeah. I chose to do what I did by keeping them on the ground, keeping them down, trying to get Tammy to get off the phone so she wouldn't make any noise, trying to calm the situation down while Nick was doing what he needed to do. And yeah. ultimately we got back together and we were able to, to leave together and we all, we all survived. But I think that you go back to the training aspect. Nick was trained to do those types of things. He was trained to do that. Yeah. He, so there, that's a great illustration of, of training and the, the type of training and the level of training. So his training kicked in after being a combat Marine in a war zone, his training was eliminate the threat, which frankly in his squad of men in his unit on the ground with bullets flying, that would have been all of their training. Um, and who knows it's, it's, it's possible if you were, had not been there to take care of the, the ladies, he may have stayed with them. Uh, he knew acting, you know, in a team like Marines do and are trained, okay, this is being held down and the girls are being protected. So he then felt uh, safe and comfortable going after the threat. But that is a very interesting um, illustration of the different types of training. And, you know, and we, you know, we know that there's, there's sheep, there's wolves and there's sheep dogs. And that's, they're all, they all exist. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being a sheep that, that comes from uh, personality types. We know the different, the different four different personality types. Uh, maybe the, the training, um, you know, how you're brought up and that sort of thing. And thank goodness for sheep, but it's, also good to know that there are sheepdogs because, and we've seen that in other active shooter scenarios where 
somebody has just instinctively gone towards the gunfire, has gone towards the threat to try and eliminate it. So, um, you know, certainly that is a very important element to have in society to have the sheepdogs out there. And that would uh, probably, because of, you know, the four of us, five of us, four of us, um, because of our training experience, that's probably how we would lean towards that situation. Uh, I have to say, I, I probably would have reacted the way you did. I probably would have, my, my primary concern, uh, because I was not in combat, uh, my, prim, my training would have kicked in and that would have been to protect myself and the people I'm with and try and get them out of there. So, um, again, that just goes back to training. So, you know, what would you say to the viewers? What, what, what would be your key takeaways uh, from this situation for the average person maybe that has not had this training or has had limited training? You know, what, what would you tell them your takeaways, your, the lessons learned from this situation would be? Well, first of all, I think you have to have the mindset of this could happen at any time, anywhere. The people who are masked or they live in a box or they put, you know, blinders on to say, well, I live in XYZ city, the safest city in America, or I, and this is never going to happen to me. Um, or this only happens in certain areas of the world. I think that, I think that those people need a reality check. And I've heard it on your podcast many times, Michael, that these are, these events are happening more and more frequently. Um, the idea that we're moving away from active shooter now to active intruder or active killer is more prevalent. I've seen recent reports of people uh, being stabbed, multiple people dying from stabs from being stabbed. Uh, so I don't think anybody is safe. Um, that's number one. Number two, I think that wherever you go, wherever your situation is, that you should be hypervigilant. Be aware. See something, say something. Something doesn't look right. The hair on the back of your neck goes up. You get goosebumps. That's that feeling in your stomach tightens up. Tell somebody. We hear, we hear stories of people saying after the fact, oh, well, I saw that person with a backpack walking down. Or, you know, we, we heard some chatter, but we didn't do anything because we didn't want to say anything or scare anybody. See something, say something. I know it's a cliche, but it could save lives. And the third thing I will say is you got to know where you, what you're going to do in that situation. Even if you don't think about it ever happening to you, you've got to dissect it and go, okay, I'm here. Look around. Where's my cover? Where's my exits? Do I have my cell phone? Do I have my communication devices that I'm going to communicate with my family and friends? And if the shit hits the fan, what am I doing? And, and, you know, that to me is the biggest takeaway that I can provide besides obviously training and, 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 and education and, and, and that type of thing, but just on the surface, those three things. Yeah. Well, those are excellent points and, uh, it's, I mean, I'm glad you're stating those things and it, it actually, it's very gratifying to me because all of those points are covered in the alive training. And in fact, the first chapter in my book is titled, it won't happen to me. And I talk about the danger of that mentality of that attitude of that living in denial, because we have found that it can happen anywhere at any time during the day. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say that we're just, we're never safe, but the, the, the fact is there is no place 
that we are absolutely safe from a situation like this. So to your point, you're right. We do have to be prepared and we do have to be diligent um, because it can happen. The likelihood of it happening is not great. Let's face it. This is, you know, in, in of the millions of people in this country, well, the billions of people around the world, because this is not a exclusive to the United States of America. It happens in places like Australia and New Zealand, clearly. Uh, it happens everywhere in the world. In China, more people die from being killed with edge weapons than people die from guns in America. So uh, this is not a, a strictly uh, gun issue. Uh, unfortunately, it's a people issue. And as long as we've got people that believe that this is acceptable or will get them the kind of um, power and control that they're looking for and the notoriety that the media gives them, uh, these things will continue to, to occur. Um, I've stated before that I believe that we can curb this. Uh, we can start to mitigate these situations by one stating what these people are and they're just, they're, they're cowards. They're, they're chicken shits that can't cope with their own lives. And so they decide that the power and control that they are lacking in their lives, they're going to get from spreading fear and terror in others. And um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm very opinionated when it comes to the media glorifying them and putting their picture up and talking about what they had for breakfast and their lives. They know they're going to get power from that media attention and that literally celebrity status to some degree. So if we, I don't, you know, as long as we, I don't mind saying their name and showing their picture, as long as we put them in the light that they are, and that is cowards. They are, they are, they're, just bad. They're not glorified. They're not celebrity. They're shit. And so I like the idea of promoting their face and their name with the title or the, or the tag of coward, because that's not what they want. They want to be raised up on a pedestal of being powerful and cowards are not powerful. Um, so I think those are great points and I appreciate you sharing those with us. Um, and, you know, like I always say, I don't care. We don't care if you get the alive training, though we, I think collectively believe that it is a very, very, very effective program. Uh, as long as you get some training because the ignorance of not having that training, you will be stuck in a mindset of fear, terror, paralysis, not I'm going to live today and go home to see the people that I love tonight. Um, Lawrence, you got anything? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Matt. First, I wanted to say, uh, thanks for sharing that story. It's, uh, it's pretty powerful. Um, appreciate you, uh, having the vulnerability and the courage to, uh, talk about it. Um, a couple of things, I took some notes while you were talking and we, you guys have talked about this, but you know, one of the things that stood out, you said it was a surprise. You didn't think it would happen to you. The other thing is that um, you had the impression at first that it was a crime, that it was happening like somewhere else to someone else and didn't realize that the venue itself was the target as opposed to it just being something happening, you know, off to the side somewhere. The other thing that uh, seemed to put you at ease to some extent was that there were police everywhere. You said that also. So I think that those, those right there uh, go back to the whole mindset of, of, uh, that's mentioned in the book where it can't happen to me, uh, that sort of thing. Um, the other thing I heard you say was that you didn't think it would last long and that it was going to um, subside rather, rather quickly. And a shelter-in-place strategy is, is pretty appropriate, especially since there's no cover nearby for something that is, you know, it's happening over there to someone else and it's going to go away right away. Um, unfortunately, you know, none of those things were, were accurate at the time, but you have no way of knowing that till, you know, <laughs> uh, hours, days, weeks later, when you find out more information about the event. Um, 
I really like your attitude. You said, you said to yourself, uh, I wasn't going to die on that ground. Like, like you, you, and the alive program goes back to that and teaches that and teaches people to think about your loved ones and to think about, uh, your kids and your, um, your significant other and to use that as a motivation to get out of the situation you're in and to, to uh, spur people to, to act action. You mentioned that your friend was paralyzed and you had to lift her over the, the barricade. Um, that's mentioned also in the alive training where uh, in the evacuate process where you look for other people that you can save along the way. You're, you're absolutely evacuating yourself. You're moving out of there, but you're looking for people that you can, um, that you can save along the way. And, um, it's, it's really great that, that you had the, um, the thought to stay with the people you were with and take care of them and protect them and to care for them. Uh, Nick, (laughs) your buddy, Nick had other plans. Uh, I did want to touch on that is his assessment, you know, just, just from hearing this story from the first time from you, uh, in the alive program assesses the first step and Nick's assessment did not take very long. And he, like you said, he ran towards the gunfire. So he jumped right to, um, the V in alive into violence and looking for uh, uh, an opportunity to eliminate the threat. And I want to point that out even without um, any sort of weapon or, I mean, you know, you, you, you either are a weapon or you make a weapon as you go or something like that. But uh, he, he wasn't, you know, he's going to figure that out as he went. Um, So that's pretty, that's pretty cool. But, you know, it, it really takes a team and it, it'd be great if, you know, like, like Michael mentioned when he and his friends and uh, whatnot went to a concert, they kind of got together and had a powwow and made a plan ahead of time and said, okay, if something happens, I'm going to go after the threat and you take care of the, uh, the girls and, you know, we'll, we'll, and then we'll meet over here and that sort of thing. Uh, you guys didn't do that, that stuff, but, uh, but it worked out anyway in terms of, of that. I'll bet he does it in the future. <laughs> I bet he does it in the uh, future. Absolutely. I bet he does it when he goes to get coffee now. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's already been there's already been instances where I just don't feel right in the situation. I don't have a good feeling. And I have to excuse myself from the environment. I have to walk away. I have to collect myself. Um because it's still, it's, it's real. Uh, the, the post-traumatic stress is real and it, and it happens when I hear cars backfiring or I hear fireworks on the 4th of July, or if something drops near me, I, I still have a reaction. Um, it's, it's not a great way to live, uh, your life, but it's a reality, unfortunately, but that's how I have to, to live now is, is not in fear. I'm not living in fear. So I will not allow that to happen, but I'm, a, I'm living with a sense of my surroundings, a sense of my awareness of what's happening around me and, and being vigilant. And, and, and so that's, that comes with the territory of being involved in something like this. That's, and that's why you know it's a painful horrible lesson to to learn that way um unfortunately before i go to mark uh i want to bring up the fact that this incident happened it it lasted exactly 10 minutes and uh, my book is called 10 minutes to live surviving an active shooter using live and the reason it's called that is because that and Virginia Tech uh, and I can't remember one other one in the last year or so with the highest body counts uh, lasted 10 minutes. So the, 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 the longest that 99% of these events have lasted is 10 minutes or less. Uh, 
So I, it's so important in what we teach in the live program is your mindset needs to be, okay, this thing will likely last less than 69% last less than five minutes, but this thing will not last longer than 10 minutes. So we, we teach people to focus on an endpoint, on the fact that it will be over soon. So you're focusing on, I'm good, you know, it's lasted three minutes. It's getting less and less. My chances of survival are getting greater every minute right. that ticks by. Right. So the mindset is focused on an endpoint, not death. And the, the survival mindset in, in its essence is being focused on survival rather than being, you know, hyper-focused or, or distracted or enveloped with the idea that you're going to die. And that just goes, I mean, that's, that's such a simple uh, thing for people to shift their mindset with even subconsciously just going, wait a minute. The instructor of that course said it won't last longer than 10 minutes. The instructor of that course said, focus on the end point of it being over, not of the fact that you're in it right now and you're going to die because of it. And so, um, you know, that's just one of the messages that that's in the program and in the book that I want everybody, all the viewers to take away is focus on it being over and getting to that point, not being in it and dying. Mark, what do you got? Yeah, Matt, first off, I want to, I'm really happy that you joined us today. I, I appreciate your, your raw feelings. I appreciate you. Um, you know, we don't want to see anyone have to go what you went through, and um, I'm glad you're here to, to tell us about it. And a lot of what you say uh, certainly validates what, what Mike has written about in his book, uh, and, and I, I really appreciate your, your feedback. Uh, there's, there's a couple, couple takeaways I have, and I just want to go through this short list. Things that you said really struck me. Um, number one was, I wasn't going to die. Uh, you said, be aware, be vigilant. 58 don't have a voice today. You wanted to have a voice being here today for those 58. Um, love wins. Survivors win together. Um, you said, we run, we die. I thought that was, was interesting. Uh, you know, cover was limited. So one thing that I'm, I'm really curious about, what was, what was you what was your body going through physically? What were you experiencing? Your vision, your, your muscles, your strength, your, your, your voice. What physiological aspects can you share with us that, that might be different from the norm? Good question, Mark. Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, I can tell you initially I was tense, um, I had that adrenaline where your heart is racing and so your breathing is very heavy and I was trying to be still, be quiet. So I, again, our mind was, this is happening right behind us. Something's happening around us and if I move, if I make a sound, if I bring attention to myself, I'm a target but my body was so tight and tense and I was I couldn't. And that's where I, when, when, when Tammy was on the phone and she's hysterical and she's talking to her son about what's happening and she's telling him there's a shooting and I love you. And she's going through this whole uh, thing with her son. I'm trying to tell her, be quiet. Like, you know, just get down, be quiet because I didn't want to draw attention to ourselves. Um, I can tell you that I had a, so much awareness of sound and I don't know how to explain it because it's hard to describe it, but it was so loud. Everything was magnified by 10. The sounds of the bullets. I mean, I could remember the ting, the ting, 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 ting from the ground and the rails and the, and the, and the 
and the stage, you hear the popping sound, so you know that that's gunfire, but then the, 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 the after effect is so magnified in my ears. I had to cover my ears at one point because I could feel what I thought was bullets brazing my head because it was so loud. I was sure that it was happening right behind me, that, these, that this was coming from somebody standing above me, pointing downwards. The part of jumping over the fence and crawling to safety and running, you just have this adrenaline of strength and movement that I could literally pick up Tammy from a dead standing position, picking her up and pulling her over the rail, which, you know, I could probably do anyways, but at that moment, it was just like it was nothing. I just wanted her to get over the, the rail. It wasn't until a couple of days I got after I got home that I was actually able to settle my stomach because I had so much nerves and anxiety and fear still uh, going through my body. Um, when we left Las Vegas, we left Las Vegas that morning at 8 a.m. on a flight. We were released at 6.30. We went back to our hotel room. We got our bags and we went right immediately to the, to the airport Monday morning. I can't tell you how I got to the airport. I can't tell you. I can tell you I fell asleep on the plane. But I don't know when we took off. I don't know when we landed. When we arrived at San Diego Airport, there was news reporters right outside of the terminal. And they came up to me and Tammy and they wanted to ask us questions about Route 91. And I was in such a fog, in such a daze, I couldn't even answer a question. They, they turned to Tammy and they were asking Tammy questions about something that happened with the, the headliner and, and them turning the lights on in the middle of the, of, the, of the shooting and and did they think that it was his fault? And I mean, it was just, these questions were so, so stupid to ask, but we were such in a fog in the days. I don't even remember what she answered or how she answered. I think I said to them like, you gotta be crazy, like get out of here. Like, what are you, you know, leave us alone. But it took me a couple of days to kind of finally just settle myself from the adrenaline and the fear and the emotions. Matt, I want to, I want to go back to something you said that is so incredibly important. When you talked about your physical reaction and your senses became acute and your strength was like superhuman almost, I think it's so important to talk about that because the listeners, viewers, anybody that, 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 takes train if they don't ever take the training at least they need to remember this their body being the most amazing complex machine on earth when when it reacts it becomes incredibly powerful because it goes into survival mode i want people to take away from this and remember that they will have the ability physically with the will if they choose to do whatever is necessary to survive this situation. So I want this to empower them knowing that they will have suddenly incredible senses and incredible strength. So, you know, to, I want them to have the confidence of knowing their body will do what is necessary to survive. They just need to make sure that their mind is in the right place to use that enhanced ability and senses to survive. So again, this goes back to focusing on what you said. I'm not going to die today, and I know that my body is going to is going to be there for me to do what is necessary. I just need to make sure that my mind is there to do with my body what it needs to to survive this situation. Michael, could I ask one last question? Of course. 
um, man, if you were to go to another concert, uh, what would you do differently? Great question. Well, I've been to other concerts. What would you do? I've been to other concerts. I've been to other events recently uh, and shortly after the the event we went to other other venues and other concerts and the first thing we do is we identify where do we want to where do we want to stand or where do we want to go and are we going to be in a large and group where we can't get out are we going to stay from in the back area um we talked about you know trying to get in a position to where we would be the first ones to be to be able to get out fast not trying to be in the middle of the group not trying to be as close to the stage as possible so that we were kind of like pinned in there um we actually at one point took a position of of on a balcony we, we went to a balcony area so that we were above the venue just because we wanted to have that extra advantage of seeing everything but even in a large event we went to stagecoach uh as a group the people that we were with at route 91 we went to stagecoach together and there were times there were times at stagecoach where we had to walk away from a from a an, from a venue from an area from a stage area because it was overcrowded we didn't feel safe we had that feeling something wasn't right and we just said okay we'll miss this one and we'll move on to something else and so that's what we did um again not fear it wasn't fear i don't want i don't want people to misunderstand that that it wasn't fear that we said we're not going to go do that it was just that feeling of knowing hmm, i'm not comfortable in this environment and i want to protect myself and the people that i love and so we're going to do something different so you 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 then had a plan exactly you, you you were you were situationally aware you created a plan even if it was just at that very moment when you felt uncomfortable you're like okay our plan is to move away from this because we're not comfortable with it and the takeaway from that should be don't wait to go through this horrendous event hoping to survive having to deal with PTSD and all of the effects afterwards and the the, you know, the mental shit that you have been going through for the last two years, be prepared, have a security mindset, which is previous to the event beginning and have a plan and talk about what you're going to do and educate the people with you because they may not have had the training or the experience you have, but be aware. Don't just focus on getting to the very center of right in front of the stage where if something like this happens, you're stuck. There's, you know, you got 22,000 people surrounding you. There's nothing you can do. You can't move until they move. So now you're at the, the mercy of what they do. So I think that's a really great, um, a really great takeaway from you, Matt, is to, to have a plan and be aware always. Well, Matt, I really want to thank you um, for being on the show, for being vulnerable. I respect, um, you know, your vulnerability, and and I and I honestly, uh, the the camera was on you, not me. But I was getting a little choked up myself, and so I had to wipe my eyes a couple times. And 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 I feel I feel the the energy and the emotion that you were feeling, and I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but very happy and grateful that taking from that, from your horrible experience, hopefully we can educate other people uh, to get the training that they need somewhere to help them survive a situation like this. And also you made several great points that are, that are takeaways that, you know, it's almost like a, a touch of, you know, a, a little bit of training because now they've learned some things that they would not have known prior to that. So I want to thank you very, very much. And I'm sure today is going to be a rather emotional day for you. So thank you for, for spending some of that day with us. Um, Mark and Lawrence, obviously, as usual, I want to thank you for, for being with me uh, here on the, on the act, uh, live podcast. Michael. Um, 
Yeah. I want to remind everybody uh, listening that we have our next instructor course coming up on October 25th and 26th. Correct. So uh, go to the website and get some more information. Feel free to call alive and uh, speak to speak to us about the program and we can get you signed up for that. Yes. And Thank you, you can that. become an alive certified instructor. Yep. So the uh, certified instructor course is a two day, usually 10 hour a day intensive training course on how to become an alive instructor. Um, it is a trademarked patented course. So this is a, the only way to teach the alive program is to go through the instructor training. It is on October 25th and 26th. You can find information and sign up or get more information at active shooter survival training.com. Also, uh, if anybody's interested in the book, which is a survival manual, it's the Alive program, but with extra stuff and you can read or, or you, can, uh, you can get the Kindle version. Uh, you can go to either Amazon or the website activeshootersurvivaltraining.com to order the book. Or uh, there's an online training program now, um, which is the Alive program. The extended all-inclusive version is about three hours long. Uh, I've also created an, an accelerated version, which is about an hour because there's several people that said, I can't take three hours out of my day to do this, which is unfortunate because it's a priority. However, any training is better than no training. So you can get the accelerated version or the complete alive training online, uh, also at activeshootersurvivaltraining.com. Or if you're, if anybody's interested in booking an, an in-person training, that can be done at that website too. So guys, thank you again very much for your time and your, um, your uh, great knowledge, uh, great questions. Matt, thank you again for, for telling us your story. Uh, we definitely felt it on our end. And um, we can I say one that. Can yes, I say sir, something before, before, we, before everyone leaves? Um, Mike, thank you so much for the invite and having me come on and talk about this uh, today. Just want to say something that everyone should just go home and, and, and hug the ones that they love a little bit tighter today. Remember the 58 that can't be here. Remember the 22,000 other survivors like me who are dealing with this every day. Be a little bit kinder. Don't let fear win. And just be safe. That's a great message, Matt. Thank you. Thank you very much. Guys, thank you very much. And uh, we will all uh, have Matt, you, and everybody else that was there that survived or didn't, didn't in our uh, thoughts today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you.